Hey, I'm Steve, and welcome to the podcast today, Stuff with Steve. And I'm here in my office today, and we're going to talk about what Christians believe about the Bible. And riding shotgun with me across the table is Chris Harrison. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Well, of course, being that you're just across the hallway in your office, you could <laughs> pop on over. But, uh, hey, big day tomorrow is Texas Independence Day, and you're a Texan. I am. I'm a seventh-generation Texan, so, uh, yeah, it's a day worth celebrating, I guess. <laughs> a seventh-generation Texan. That's, That's uh, yeah, quite a long time. Yeah. yeah. But you've adjusted to the Northwest, and you have moss under your feet? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Hey, I thought we'd talk about, uh, because somebody texted me a couple of days ago or so and wanted to know something about uh, the Bible and specifically, do the books we have in the Bible, is that it? And I just thought that's a question that often gets asked and it would be worthwhile to talk about what do Christians believe about the Bible? And so, Chris, in your opinion, you've had a lot of formal training from some world-renowned scholars. Uh, what do you? Th- what comes to your mind? Just answer that. What did Christ- the first generation of Christians, the early Christians, what did they believe about the Bible? What are some things that come to your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is that they had a lot of confidence in the Bible right from the beginning. I mean, we could see that with not only the way that even the you know Peter and Paul talk about the scriptures in in the New Testament. But also the way that that next generation of Christians, what we call the early church fathers, the way they talk about the Gospels, the way they talk about the letters of Paul, they believe very clearly that these are uh, Scripture. There's no questions uh, for them. I mean, you know, very minimal amount of questioning, I should say, for them. And uh, so they just had a lot of confidence. And it's really only kind of later that people have kind of introduced a lot of kind of weird ideas and things that that cast doubt on what they took really for granted. Right, right. And it seems to me that, uh, let's just talk about how Jesus looked at the Old Testament Scripture, what we would call, or might be called the Hebrew Bible, and um, I think he quoted from every major section, and I, I put my notes away, but there are 39 books in the Old Testament. I think he quoted from 26 of them. I'll believe Some, that. Something yeah. like, you'll believe that. Okay, <laughs> close enough. And uh, but never once did he correct the Pharisee. You get the wrong books. Yeah, there yeah. wasn't uh, a lot of question. I mean, I think if I remember correctly, too, even by the time that Jesus came on Earth, that whole issue of what belongs in the Old Testament and what's not valid books was pretty well settled for the Jews, and so so they were all working under the same assumptions for the. Jesus and the Pharisees is just a matter of how they interpreted those things, not what books belong in, what books belong out. Yeah, that was pretty well said. And uh, so Jesus, uh, you know, affirmed the Old Testament. Yeah. It was readily acceptable. And the early Christians didn't have the New Testament yet. Uh, once 10, 20 years later, Jesus' uh, ascension into heaven. So they relied heavily on the Old Testament, obviously, right? So, But there seems yeah. to be no question from them. Yeah, that. yeah. Even you know, you look at the the book of Acts, which we've been preaching through right now, and Peter uses all these uh, Old Testament references in his sermons, and nobody you know disagrees. Nobody stands up and says, "Hey, mm. wait a minute, what are you talking about?" Yeah, I think they were, they were pretty locked into what books were true, uh, the veracity of those books, and and not a lot of debate about that. Those Hebrew scriptures. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, fantastic. So uh, another thing that I think Christians have believed about the Bible is that it's a uh, uh, that is true, and we call that inerrancy. And and uh, so, what are some of your thoughts on this whole idea of inerrancy? That there are no errors in the Bible. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you first hear that statement, um, a lot of people could poke a hole in that and say, "Well, look, there's an error here, or there's a misunderstanding here." And I, so, I think you have to caveat it just slightly to mm-hmm. say there's no uh, errors in the original manuscripts. And then you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, how do we even know what those original manuscripts say? But one of the things that's really helpful is that there is a lot of study and research that has gone into looking at the existing manuscripts we have, making sure that we can really be very, very confident that the translations that we have now are very accurate to the original. Uh, You know, there are... uh, a lot of manuscripts with differences, but most of the differences are really obvious mistakes. Like, a, a, you know, like you kind of, if you're texting and you mistype something, you could still understand, oh, I don't understand what this person was saying. They just misspelled this word. There's a lot of errors like that, obvious things. Well, okay, that doesn't mean that what it's not true. It just means a scribe copied something wrong. It means the like copyist right. made an error, but we can clearly see those in those original yes. manuscripts, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty important because some people will say, well, uh, I've heard this argument, well, you don't have the original, so how can I trust the English translation of my Bible? And one of the things I've said is that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, we read the scroll from Isaiah, but obviously he didn't have the original scroll in his hand, he had a copy. That's right. And he never said the copies are wrong and... uh, and in like fact, that. I mean, even in the scripture, uh, one of my pro- uh, profs pointed this out one time, but Moses uh, comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, literally written by the finger of God. And I don't know if you remember the story, I'm sure you do, but he gets so mad, he breaks <laughs> them. So he has to go back and get a copy. Well, that copy is just as valid, just as binding as the original, right? Mm-hmm. So right there, I mean, God essentially says, hey, a copy is just as good as the original if the Spirit of God is is guiding it. So, yeah, kind of an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, yeah, that is because then people will want to poke holes in uh, some of the key doctrines of the Bible. Those aren't true as well, right? right? You know, the deity of Christ and so forth. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, none of the, uh, you know, manuscript differences, none of them have any bearing whatsoever on those key doctrines. I mean, the only passage that's like, Really, really unclear. I think there's a couple of them, but one that I know of is uh, Romans 5, verse 1. And it says either uh, let us have peace in Christ or we have peace in Christ. Well, okay, you can really pick whichever one you want there. It, mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't have any effect on major doctrine. But if that's the most controversial part of the Bible, then okay, that, you know, that we still have a lot of confidence in, in all the, the texts that we have. Yeah. So I heard one of your former professors, Dan Wallace, kind of a world-renowned expert on ancient manuscripts, right? You'd think I'd be smarter taking classes with him. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of wondering about (laughs) you. But anyway, so uh, I heard him say that if you take all the stacks of handwritten manuscripts, so everybody listening, a manuscript is not a photocopy, it's a handwritten copy um, of a document, and you take all of those that we have, which is about... 5,800 Greek ones. And I then think you, it's even more than that Even more than yeah. that, maybe 6,000. 6, yeah. And then all the ones of the uh, Latin translations. 
all the ones of the other language like Syriac and Coptic, and then uh, which is getting up to thousands and thousands, you stack them up in a pile and it reaches a mile high. Yep. And then I saw him redo the math, and it still comes out to a mile high. <laughs> we have that that much information or manuscripts available. Yeah, there's really uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the just the mass amount of uh, manuscripts, which really speaks to, uh, again, in a way, to the truthfulness of the scriptures because it was uh, so preserved and so well cared for uh, over the centuries by just a vast number of people that it, you know obviously is impactful but yeah we've got so many manuscripts that there's really uh, very very little like I said that Romans 5 is probably the most questionable as far as like nobody really knows which way it goes and it really comes down to just one letter uh, two words that sound the same but there's one letter difference and one of them means this one and one of them means the other so you know I mean it uh, all these manuscripts, and there's really only you know a tiny little place where we can say, mm, well, we're not sure what that says. And that one is not, we wouldn't call it an error. We'd call, well, we're not sure. Right. Right. Yeah, because even in your printed Bible, the footnote, there'll be a footnote there that says, oh, some manuscripts say this, things like that. So you've got all the information. You just, uh, you know, and the translators make decisions about how they go and things mm -hmm. like that, you know. So one of the things I've run across is this whole idea of Dan Brown in his book, The Da Vinci Code, and it's a really good writer of fiction, and I want to emphasize <laughs> fiction. That's right, yeah. And he says that, uh, uh, you know, they had a church council, which is like a church committee meeting of Christian leaders, and uh, they just kind of arbitrarily picked out of the wind which books are in, which books are out. So what would you, how would you answer that kind of uh, question that somebody has about scripture. Yeah, I would say that is definitely um, a fictional account of how that went down because what they did is they gathered these conferences for the sole purpose of basically uh, confirming the things that were already in use. I mean, they had uh, all these books that we now call the New Testament that people were already using, they had been verified, you know, either they were the words of an apostle, like some of the Gospels, or they were directly connected to an apostle, like you know Mark, who's writing Peter's account of Jesus' life, things like that. And they just decided to codify that list that already mm -hmm. existed. I mean, you can look back in, again, these early church fathers and some of the letters, and you can find lists of almost the exact 27 books that we have. There's a couple of books that were you know, a little bit less popular, and so they show up on some lists and not on others. But, but by and large, the uh, there wasn't any mass conspiracy to say, okay, we're gonna, you know, uh, quiet this little section of the church and not teach this doctrine, and we're gonna inflate it. None of that stuff is true. It was all just, hey, these are the books that we already recognize to be true, and we're just gonna make sure that everybody's working off the same list. So what I heard you say is that at these Christian leaders. Uh, gathered together and they didn't pick which books were in the Bible. They just affirmed yeah, what was already right. believed. Yeah, that's a great way to say okay. it. Okay, yeah, that, may, that makes that's. I think that's really helpful to our listeners to realize that nobody was just picking it uh, willy nilly which books are right. in, which books are, which books are out. So um, we have all these other books like the Gospel of Thomas, and I have a copy here in my desk. And I was rereading as 114 lines, 
and the last line, because people say, well, books like that should be in there, but it's clearly written in the second century, clearly was never written by the Apostle Thomas. And in, and when I read these uh, documents, they don't sound anything like the other scripture, nothing. So an example of that in verse 114, you started to laugh, I know, but it says, uh, uh, only men go to heaven and women are excluded. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the people are clamoring for these other books. I don't even know that they've read them. Yeah, right. I think, you know, everybody's chasing this idea that, oh, there's some secret, some uh, information that's being withheld from us. And it's just not true. Uh, you know, the stuff that has been left out has been left out for very good reasons because it doesn't match up to Christian teaching or because it was written so much later. You know, like the Gospel of Thomas obviously wasn't written by Thomas. He was long dead. They're trying to, you know, make it seem valid when it's clearly not. And, and yeah, I mean, I would say if you pick up any one of these kind of books, it's within a minute or two, you're like, wow, this is nonsense. And uh, you could kind of make your own decisions, honestly. Yeah, and uh, right away, it should be discounted because of a forgery, right? Thomas yes. did not live yeah. in 200 AD. Yeah. He was long since passed away. But uh, And that was one of the things that these early church councils were really particular about. They wanted that apostolic authority, that these books that were a part of the New Testament were books that had you know, clear connection to Christ and to the, the message of the apostles and not, you know, taking weird ideas or trying to be, uh, you know, take credit for things, you know, or, or uh, you know, fake names, all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's so I uh, was just looking before we uh, started this podcast and in 1 Corinthians 9, 9, it says, uh, do not muzzle the ox. And then he quotes a little bit of Deuteronomy and calls it scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think scholars are agreed that he's actually quoting the book of Luke, has the same case endings as a line in Luke, which is like a fingerprint, right? Mm-hmm. You, that's that's impossible. That's he had it in front of him, yeah. copied it probably, yeah. and then added Deuteronomy. So he's calling Luke scripture. Paul's yes, calling right. Luke scripture, yeah. right? And then Peter makes uh, you know makes a reference to Paul saying, yeah, his letters are difficult to understand, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he's equating that to Scripture. And so we have the apostles, uh, how can I say this, uh, confirming each other right. in Scripture. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, because here's guys who, uh, they knew each other, they worked together in some cases. And, you know, for Peter, for example, he's saying, the words of Paul are Scripture. You should pay attention to them, even though they're hard to understand. And you know, there's no, uh, if anybody would have any reason to doubt Paul, it would be a guy like Peter who literally knew him. Uh, and so for him to have that uh, sense that, hey, what Paul is writing is inspired by God and needs to be paid attention to, that ought to give us a lot of confidence in what we've got. Yeah. Hey, talk a minute, because you just used the word inspired or mm-hmm. inspiration. So in uh, Christian circles, what is this? whole inspiration mean? Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a technical term, but it comes straight out of the Bible. It comes out of 2 Timothy 3.16, where Peter, uh, I mean, excuse me, Paul says, all scripture is inspired. It's literally God-breathed. And it doesn't necessarily mean that God, you know, dictated every single word, but it's, uh, it's the words of God. We could say that even these human writers, as they're partnering with the Holy Spirit, are creating not just... Uh, you know, when I write an email, it's uh, just an email. 
But when uh, these guys are writing, it's wor the words of God. It's, it's inspired by God. And so then it has a certain amount of authority. It has a certain amount of uh, truthfulness to it that other writings just simply can't claim. And so that's a, that's a term that's really important when it gets to you know, the authority of Scripture, uh, how true it is, how useful it is. I mean, this passage in 2 Timothy goes on to say all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for you know, all of life, for making us, uh, uh, what's the phrase he uses, uh, uh, complete, equipped for every good work. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a different kind of writing than just normal writing. And, and the, that's why these church fathers, these councils had to sit there and say, yeah, we, we affirm that what everybody believes about these books are true. We officially affirm that. And, uh, and then books like the Gospel of Thomas, like you mentioned, they're obviously not in line with that same kind of inspiration. Yeah, I think one thing that could be confusing to people is that you and I use the word inspiration and we're thinking with our theological hat on. Right. But in uh, everyday usage, we might say, well, Shakespeare was inspired. Right, right. And so we're talking two totally different concepts with that's that. That's right. Yeah, that's right? important. So one is uh, inspiration for the Christian is that, is that God literally breathed out God's the word and the apostles wrote it down with their own style. So that's speak. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's an important part. Now then, I want to ask you, I don't know if you remember this, but the Catholic Bible has extra books. Right, called, yeah. Called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. And I think most of them or all of them are dated before the time of Christ, like First and Second Maccabees or Bell and the Dragon, can't remember mm -hmm. them all. But, and, uh, but they're clearly uh, written before the time of Christ. And uh, the Catholic Church inserted them into the Scripture or affirmed them in about 1580. And so uh, Jesus never quoted from those. Right. Uh, the Jews never held these documents to be scripture, never. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, for us who are Protestants, we would say, hey, those might be interesting reading, and that's fine, but it's not the same level of scripture. Yeah, and some of those books are, you know, interesting historical documents. I mean, you can read about the Maccabean Revolt, and uh, and yet it is it doesn't pass that inerrancy test. It wasn't... Uh, valued as part of the Hebrew Scriptures, like you said, mm -hmm. and it wasn't affirmed at the earliest church councils. They were inserted later. And again, some of them have value, but uh, they're not things that we're going to use, like Second Timothy says, to, to uh, you know, equip us for every good work. They're not going to use to, to uh, correct, rebuke, teach, those kinds of things that we use the Gospels for, that we use the letters of Paul for. Yeah. I was just recalling something as you were talking that uh, when it comes to these books of the Bible that I think it's helpful to think of these church councils or committees as they're responding to something that's going on. So they yes. need to clarify something, right? And there were some what we call heretics named Montanus and Marcion, and they took out a scissors. And uh, I think Marcion uh, said only three of the Gospels are true, and he took out all of Paul. And so they're ripping apart the Bible. So people come along later and say, no, 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 That's you're, you're wrong. These are the 27 books of the New right. Testament, right? So, so they're responding to that situation. And we even have that a little bit today of people saying, well, even Thomas Jefferson, he wanted yeah. to cut out parts of the Bible, right? Right. And usually you cut out the parts you don't like. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> right? yeah. 
right. Well, what's interesting, too, about Marcion and these other kinds of things is that they're looking at the books that we hold to be authoritative and inspired, and they're saying, oh, yeah, we need to, we need to address these books. We, you know, they're, they're not having controversies about all these books that didn't make the cut. And so even in their decision to try to cut and pick and choose, they're still looking at the books that everybody was reading, that everybody was finding value in. So in a weird kind of circular way, their uh, desire to cut out some of these books affirmed that those are the books that everybody was using, you know, if that makes sense. That's a little convoluted. But, uh, but yeah, it, everybody wants to cut out the hard parts of the Bible, but obviously it doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, hey, uh, the scripture, I think we would say, is God's word written to people to communicate a message. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think we're very fortunate that we have the message. We can read it. We can read it on our phones. Who would have guessed that years ago? And um, we just have access to God's word, which is not available in all languages and places. And so I think we're very fortunate. And I think Christians have always believed that the Bible's true. It came from God. And uh, so there's a high value placed on uh, reading Scripture because it's not necessarily for our information alone, but it's to transform our lives. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's the, the primary means that God uses to communicate to us, and, and we ought to be able to take advantage of it and willing to. Yeah. Hey, Chris, thanks for being on the first podcast. Yeah, it's my, it's my very first podcast. So... Here I am. First podcast ever. Yeah, ever. Okay, all right. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow's Texas uh, Independence Day, but we'll release this podcast uh, a little bit after that. All but, right, yeah. Okay. Hey, I'm Steve Hill. Thank you for being uh, a good listener on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Tell a friend about the podcast. And uh, I think this is about our 85th podcast. So okay. if you haven't listened to them, go back and, and listen to some of them. And we'd love to have your feedback. Grace and peace be with you today. Thanks.